everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 42 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about the 1990 miniseries It on your We All Float Down Here podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. I was hoping you'd do that intro with like, we're going to be talking about It. <laughs> we are going to bring it on. <laughs> I thought about it, honestly, because I've I've had those issues talking about this with people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing this weekend? We're recording it. What? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did see someone who did a list of like the it cinematic universe. It, it follows, bring it on, deal with it. <laughs> oh nice. Nice. Yes, let's talk about it. Mandy, why did you never watch it? Because I don't do scary movies. Ever. <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, I can't even point to like a single movie that just scared me so much that put me off of all scary movies. I think it was just the idea of scary movies. I couldn't do them. And so I n- never, ever even wanted to watch this movie. Okay. Yeah. And now you, scary. you've been coerced into it now. Yes, I've been coerced into it now. Do you watch scary things now? Some, not a lot. I didn't go see the new one because I think it might be too scary for me to watch in public. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to tell you a bit about It. It is a supernatural horror drama miniseries from 1990. It is based on a book written by Stephen King. It was directed by Tommy Lee Wallace and It is adapted by Lawrence D. Cohen. The most memorable form that It takes is the clown Pennywise. It, as Pennywise, is played by Tim Curry, who originally turned the role down, as he had recently played the Lord of Darkness in Ridley Scott's Legend, and it did not enjoy the time in prosthetics. As such, the design on It, as Pennywise, was redesigned to accommodate Tim Curry. It was made into a film this year, with a follow-up due out in 2019. It is called It. It is hard to Google. Finding out information about it when you search for facts about it, information about it, theories about it, do not yield much. (laughs) No, I can imagine they don't. Mm. But I imagine there probably are ways to narrow it down. Not hugely. You you start, you put in it movie steals and you get the Justice League and then you get other recent films or upcoming films. Okay, but what if you put in Stephen King's It? You get other famous Stephen King things. And Fair and enough. particularly now, because we're getting so much about the film when you search. Right. Like, I wanted to read a bit about uh, some of the differences between the book and the miniseries, but obviously everything now is the differences between the film and the miniseries and the book. <laughs> so right, you really, right. you really have to go waiting for some of this stuff. Okay. It. <sighs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you have not seen it or read the book, uh, it is about seven kids who defeat an evil monster posing as a clown. 30 years later, it returns, so they all reunite to defeat it once and for all. All right. Well, Matthew, how did you watch this one? Um, I saw it in a charity shop a couple of weeks ago, and knowing it was coming up, I grabbed it off the shelf and bought it. And And the lady behind the counter said, oh, hey, there's a movie coming out based on this, isn't there? I was like, yeah, but I'm not getting it for that, but I kind of am. So, okay. Right. Okay. (laughs) How did you watch it? I had to rent it from Amazon because it is not available to stream anywhere. Well, okay, that's not true because it is streaming on Amazon. It's just I have to rent it and not use one of my many, many subscription services. Hmm. It's very sad. Do you think with the film coming out, they would be it would behoove them to allow this to be streamed freely? Or do you think they're looking at making more money by having it, you have to rent it because more people are going to be interested in watching it? You're just trying to throw that word in as often as possible, aren't you? <laughs> what word? <laughs> um, I think they want to make as much money as possible. And so okay. there's no way it would show up on Netflix or Hulu or anywhere. It's just going to be, I mean, it's not even prime. It's you have to rent it. So, mm. Okay. Because, like, Star Trek Discovery started recently, and the CW added Star Trek the Animated Series just to to their app subscription system. Okay. Which strikes me as a, like, oh, people are interested in that over there. Let's add it where we can. Piggyback off it, as it were. Yeah. 
as it were. <laughs> as it were. <laughs> Twere it so simple. Um, <laughs> so, so thinking about your uh, relationship or lack thereof with horror, what were your expectations for it? I expected to be absolutely terrified and I would not watch it by myself. I had somebody come watch it with me so that I would not be alone in my house at night watching a scary movie. You are a hide behind the cushions kind of person. Yes, I very much am. (laughs) Stephen King, as I said, is is the writer here. Do you have experience of Stephen King's other works? He's obviously very famous in this genre. Um, And then some of the main actors, John Ritter and Richard Thomas particularly. Uh, yeah, actually, I have more experience with Stephen King than you would expect, considering I don't do scary movies. Um, I've read Christine and Insomnia, and I'm sure I've read The Stand at some point. And I know I've read some of his short stories. I just can't recall them right now. Um, I have seen The Shining. I've seen The Stand, which I absolutely adore. Although adore may be a wrong word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, I've seen Rose Red. I've seen Thinner. I'm sure there's more. But yeah, Stephen Stephen King is, oddly enough, someone I'm pretty super familiar with. John Ritter. Uh, obviously, I am very super familiar with his role of Jack on Three's Company. And, of course, he was on an episode of Buffy, which is one of the worst episodes of Buffy, but I don't care because it's still Buffy. And then just various other TV guest spots. I I was actually shocked to see that he was in this movie because I had no idea who was in this movie other than Tim Curry as the clown. Okay. But I guess technically this was a TV movie, so mm-hmm. kind of works. Uh, the same thing with Richard Thomas. He's always going to be John Boy Walton to me. Uh, but he's been in basically every made-for-TV movie ever since the 90s and so i've seen a fair amount of those i i put those two particularly because john ritter is pretty much the only adult that i recognized but because of his uh role as ted i've never seen three's company so i did not recognize that and then um richard thomas my my partner said oh yeah he was in the waltons yes never really watched the waltons so i didn't know but apparently he's famous so well done him (laughs) is this the point where you want to mention the other famous actor who's in this film Miniseries, TV, movie thing? Uh, are you talking about Tim Curry? Nope. I'm talking uh, about one of the boys. Oh, Seth Green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course I have experience with Seth Green. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny because he was really not recognizable as Seth Green for most of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was very strange. Because he felt very tall in this film. And, and Seth Green is not renowned for being tall. That is true. Seth Green so, is not tall. Yeah, so maybe it's just he, you know, he grew up before the other kids who were cast in this film. But yeah, it was really strange to see him with glasses, with the very straight hair, playing playing the funny man though. That is his role. He did play the funny man, and I found it hilarious that Harry Anderson played the grown up version of him. Okay. You don't know who Harry Anderson is. I either, don't know do you? who Harry Anderson is. <laughs> Sorry. Well, he was he played the grown-up version of mm-hmm. Seth Green's character. He was on a sitcom over here called Night Court. Okay. So crikey, one hundred ninety-three episodes. <laughs> crikey, <laughs> I have never seen Night Court. It was a nice little sitcom. I mean, it was funny comedy. It's, Went that's for a an long time. Overwhelming recommendation. <laughs> I was a kid. I didn't really care about Night Court when I was a kid, so. Okay. Um, just talking about horror as a genre on its own, what's your experience of the, the wider horror genre then? Have you have you seen anything as a, as a grown-up? Is there something you have seen during your teen years? So when I was in high school, my family decided they wanted to go see a new movie called The Haunting, which turns out was not a new movie, but was a remake of a really old movie. And I went to see it very, very begrudgingly. Partly because Owen Wilson was in it. And okay. I <laughs> I was a big fan of Owen Wilson back then. And I fell in love with it. I loved it. And it made me think that I really liked scary movies. And so then I went to see uh, the remake of House on Haunted Hill that had Tay Diggs in it, which is, you know, okay, it's a Tay Diggs movie. I, I can I can deal with that. <laughs> and yeah, not not such a good idea. 
So uh, The House on Haunted Hill and The Ring made me realize I still don't do scary movies. And so didn't really try anymore after that. Okay. (laughs) So it sounds like something you dip a toe into every decade or so. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I don't really want to anymore. Okay. (laughs) I'm kind of done with that. I want my horror movies to be like Cabin in the Woods or Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Well, that, those were the sorts of things I was going to say. There are horror movies and, and, you know, your favorite TV show is arguably a horror series. You like it when it's, I don't know, a different, maybe it's when, when it's monster horror, it's okay. But when it's suspense, thriller, with a mix of jump scares, it's not so good. Yeah, I think jump scares and gore are the two things that I really, really don't like. Okay. Oh, but you liked Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Which I think of as very gory. Maybe, but it was gory in a lighthearted way. Okay. <laughs> like, it was not intended to be taken seriously, and so I think True. that's why I was okay with it. Okay. Have you seen the scary movie f- films? I've seen at least one of them. Oh, does Scream count as horror? Yeah. Oh, crap, because I loved those movies. Mm. Like, I know what you did last summer and Scream were both movies that I watched a lot. When I was in high school. Yeah, I like Scream. Scream is a good film. Um, I Yeah, I like horror a lot. Not enough to go and see them, particularly at the cinema, and not enough to see the endless sequels that we get of a lot of horror films. But I like the inventedness of the genre. It's usually coming up with something quite interesting. I am a big fan of Stephen King as well. I've read uh, quite a number of his novels. Not, not so much some of the more famous ones, I want to say. Like, I, I haven't read The Stand or... Pet Cemetery, Salem's Lot. What am I trying to think of? The Green Mile. Oh, I've seen The Green Mile. Really, really good. But but things like The Shining and Misery and It, great. Love them to bits. Oh, I've seen Misery too. Mm. See, I knew there was more that I just was not recalling. <laughs> yeah, I really like the way he writes. Um, and I quite like the way his adaptations are often done. They're usually pretty good. Um, I think I'm slightly different from you. I like Suspense. But only to a certain amount. Probably the the scariest period I've ever had at the cinema was seeing uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Signs. Um, And I had to sleep with the lights on after watching that. (laughs) Okay. See, I think you're making me wonder about my definition of horror. Because I wouldn't have classed Signs as horror. I wouldn't have put The Sixth Sense as horror. I, I wouldn't have said Signs as horror, but it is a suspenseful film. All the way through. You do not get it is to very see enough of what is going on. And I just had the whole film of being on edge watching it. And, and the young lady that I took to see it was on edge as well. So she kept grabbing me every time something happened. The young lady in the row behind me squeaked every time something happened. So that <laughs> set me on edge. So by the end of it, I was just, you know, a rack of nerves and, and right. going over it all in my head. So I got home. I'm like, I don't want to sleep with my back to the room. I want to be able to see everything. <laughs> There's just things everywhere. Right. Okay. <laughs> but as a child, I can remember... No, as a child. That makes my parents sound awful. As a younger person, I can remember seeing Alien and Terminator and being very scared of them. But because the monster was so scary to my, my you know, my childish brain. Right. Okay. That makes sense. But we're here to talk about it specifically. So, Mandy, did you enjoy it? No. Ooh. Because of its horrorness? Horrornicity? No. <laughs> oh. You did not enjoy it. It was not fun. It was not good for you. Why did you not enjoy it? Because it was just really bad. <laughs> Can you give me a little bit more specificity on bad, please? Okay. So, well, let me say, just say this up front. I'm having a little bit of a hard time separating... The quality of the story from the quality of the execution of the story. Right. And, and some of that's because I haven't read the book. I've, the only information I have about the story is what they showed me in mm-hmm. this 1990 made-for-television miniseries. And and so I'm trying to step back a little bit and understand, okay, this was on network television, primetime, in 1990. It wasn't really going to be gruesome or anything like yeah. that. To, to put it in its fullest context, as you say, network TVs, they've had to tone down some of the horror, some of the gore aspects. This is before the X-Files. This is before Buffy. 
Yes. So things that we have had since that do a lot of what this does on a, you know, prime time situation. This was some of the first for it, in a way. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. And I just don't think they did a good job with it. It okay. Pennywise was not scary. I think there were moments where they were building up suspense and they, they had a few like jump scare kind of moments. And my reaction to those moments were to laugh. <laughs> Honestly, like... <sighs> It. <laughs> Stop making me think about the bad film. <laughs> <laughs> so it's. Just, I think. I think had I seen this in 1990, I would have been scared. I was eight years old in 1990, and this movie probably would have terrified the crap out of me because the clown was pretty creepy, sort of on his own, but he didn't do anything that was actually scary. I think that's the problem with this movie is. They kept telling us scary things were happening, but we never saw them. Okay. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. so I think the most suspenseful moment in this movie was in the very beginning um, when Georgie has Mm. lost his his little newspaper boat down the gutter and suddenly Pennywise is in the gutter talking to him. And that should have been creepier than it was, but it was probably the creepiest moment in the whole thing. And then the rest of it, it was just them telling us that the grown-ups were really, really super scared. I mean, the thought of going back to this town was enough to make one of them kill themselves. Mm -hmm. But we hadn't really seen why yet. And and so most of it was them saying, oh, this is going to be really scary, you guys. This is going to be really scary, you guys. And then they never paid off all of that information, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of why I didn't enjoy it. Can I ask you a question? Um, What is your opinion of clowns? I've never really had an issue with clowns. Do you feel like you should have an issue with clowns? Sometimes I do because so many other people do. (laughs) (laughs) But no, clowns have never really bothered me. Okay. When, When It was written, when Stephen King wrote It, clowns I don't think had the reputation they have now. One of the lines in the book, he talks about... Uh, some of the book is actually from the perspective of it. So it's actually in... F- it's not first person, it's still third person, but it's in italics and it's it's the thoughts of it and what he's going through as, as he's having this battle with these children. And there is a line of... The fears of children were simpler and usually more powerful. The fears of children could often be summed up in a single face. And if bait were needed, why, what child did not love a clown? I think the clown is not intended to be scary. The, the clown is intended to entice children towards it so it can then terrify them. Okay, that makes sense. Now, on, on those terms, yes, Pennywise kind of works. And he does He does actually crack wise with them a little bit as he goes through and makes jokes at them. But since it has come out, clowns have become a terrifying thing, both in uh, our fiction, Buffy, Cabin in the Woods, and in real life, <laughs> clowns are considered to be quite frightening. Um, and I know certainly with the, the release of the film this year, there were protests by clowns about this is not good for clowns and the image of clowns, which <laughs> you're not helping yourselves there, chaps. <laughs> this right, is a very old right. book. So I, I think it is one of the reasons that clowns have now have this reputation. And because this miniseries was only a few years after, this is the thing that has turned clowns into a scary thing that they weren't supposed to be before that. Okay, that makes sense. I don't think that should change your opinion, because yes, it is a bit silly for us to be like, he's not that scary. He's scary at the end when his face starts melting off, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but the thing he turns into is not scary either, so... (laughs) No, well, uh, I suspect we're going to come to that in a bit. Um, (laughs) Just to give a quick comparison to the, the movie that came out this year, they have made the clown genuinely scary, but they have also made the clown one of the fears of one of the children. So one of the kids in the original is scared of Paul Bunyan. Now he's scared of clowns instead. Okay. So it gives a bit more reason. And they've turned him into a bit more of an actual monster. Part of that is is in doing a successful reboot, you should you should make it feel the way the original felt, not the way the original actually was, because time changed. Clearly. That's a really good thing to say. I stole it from someone else. Oh. It is really good, isn't it? But I have to give credit to Polygon's Besties podcast. They they did that when they talked about Doom. Okay. 
As as Aaron Sorkin said, great writers steal. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yes, Pennywise is not as scary as we would expect him to be. Um, I think part of that is the execution of what they're wanting to do. Um, it, It is also that he is now very firmly the face of it. We don't see too many other forms of it, whereas in the book you actually get, he appears in lots of different scary images to everything. He appears as Frankenstein and flying leeches and a giant bird and the fountain of blood that appears to Beverly. All of that makes sense. And I wish, honestly, I wish they had done that in the miniseries because my understanding based on uh, conversations with a friend who saw the new one Mm. and what you're saying about the book is that the point of Pennywise is to show up as things that these children are afraid of. Mm -hmm. And they even reference that in the miniseries, but it's a super throwaway line. Like like the kids figure it out really quickly. Oh, this thing is showing us what we're scared of and we have to fight it. But he doesn't in the miniseries. He shows up as a clown, you know, and he he references things they're afraid of, like uh, showing up as Ben's father who died Mm. and, and things like that. But it doesn't, actually play on the children's fear the only fear it's playing on is that they're going to get captured and children are going to die because this thing has killed children before and so you don't really get that sense of horror there you get a sense of urgency and death Mm. but that's different if that makes sense yeah the times he appears to them he's chasing them like the the appearance of the werewolf and he's chasing them at that point It, it is to scare them not necessarily to kill them but you can't have something killing children on television in 1990. So he's a little defanged by that point. That's true. Because we don't see anything in in this miniseries. They just tell us. Like, Georgie, we never saw. The little mm. girl in the beginning, who apparently her arm was torn off. Or was it It was Georgie's arm who was yeah. torn off. We didn't see that. There, there was no actual blood in this movie. There was the blood out of the drain mm-hmm. and out of the book. But that's it. That, that's it. <laughs> that is it. That's it, folks. You alluded to it a minute a minute ago, but Pennywise is not the is not it. Pennywise is a form of it, and at the end we get to see it in its actual form. Yes, we do. I came really close to tweeting the night that you watched this and being like, I bet at some point tonight Mandy is gonna go, Why is it always spiders? That line came out of my mouth. Yes, it did. At first, when I saw its legs, I was going, no, no, no. (laughs) And then I said, why is it always spiders? And then I saw the whole thing and I started laughing. Yeah. And my friend said, the only thing that can make this any better is if it had Tim Curry's face. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, that's what I was picturing. And it just was not scary to me. But why does it always have to be spiders? I'll eat you like a cheese pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (sighs) So I think it starts off as stop motion, but then it becomes a full-size puppet they made so that they could have this fight. It's too well lit. (laughs) Make it darker, guys. Seeing less is more. (laughs) Absolutely. It was just not scary. Yeah. And then the... The way they defeated it was also not scary. I was laughing. I was like, I can't believe this. They're literally jumping on it and they're ripping it apart with their bare hands. <laughs> yeah. Like, if they can do that, why did we just have a three-hour miniseries about defeating this thing? Mm-hmm. Okay, we are possibly moving into the discussion of adapting Stephen King's writing. Just to warn you, what what's about to happen? <laughs> the the finale of the the fights, both as children as a, a, an adult, is a battle of wills. Pennywise, not Pennywise, it shows them its dead lights. The the light that you can see into that takes you into the macroverse where it lives along with the turtle, which sicked up the universe. What? <laughs> yep. <laughs> there was a what? There was a giant space turtle that sicked up the universe, but has now retreated into its shell. And the only other thing that exists in the macroverse is it, which came to Earth millions of years ago and has taken up residence in Derry. Coming awake every 27 years to eat children and then slumber. And it lives in okay. the macroverse. Okay. 
You know, we didn't get any of that in, in this movie, right? <laughs> and in the Deadlights, in the Macroverse, they have this fight with it. And it is a battle of wills. It is, is it, can you believe in yourself and the, the power of the group? And can the group give you power? And particularly I'm referring to Bill as a child and then Bill and Richie as adults. Um, there's this whole thing of them imagining biting each other's tongues and holding on whilst, oh at, whilst at the same time. And again, this is all imagery it's it's given in a way that we cannot picture this it is impossible even the spider it's impossible to understand what it really looks like so the spider is the closest thing we can imagine it to be because it's some alien millions of years old um and and that's the whole thing with him doing his uh mantra it thrusts its, its fists against the post and still insists it sees the ghost that is his mantra for overcoming his stutter. And it, it because it has this power to help him, it has power over it. Because the whole thing is about belief. If you believe the silver can damage it, the silver will damage it. If you, can, if you believe the um, spray in the aspirator for the asthma is battery acid and can damage it, it can damage it. It's really nice imagery. It's almost impossible to put on a television screen. Especially in 1990. Yeah, exactly. I'm not even sure you could do it now. I think when they finally come to do this stuff, I do not think they will be able to do it on screen. Okay. And it's part of the problem, I think, with adapting Stephen King, because he lives in this gigantic, fantastical world where he has... And his ability at prose, not necessarily at um, at plot, at, at story beats that make sense and form a cohesive whole, but his his ability to describe a situation and what someone is feeling and what they're going through is, is so good. I, I think it's incredibly hard to turn it into something on screen. But when they do it well, it's really great. Mm. For example, The Stand. Okay. I really love the movie The Stand. I have seen it over and over again, and I think... It has some problematic elements, okay. particularly the hand of God, but <laughs> it, you know, it, it's really good and really engaging and it keeps you on your toes because it is super suspenseful. Hmm. Just a quick tangent. Is that a thing that should go on the list of things Matthew has never seen? Oh, maybe. Oh, have we got maybe. two things on that list now? Oh. <laughs> um, but but by comparison, you've seen The Shining. The Shining, the film, is very different from Shining, the book. But it still portrays everything as well, what they're going through. But it takes a very different tack to doing it. I think it, the miniseries, is trying to be very close to the source material. But it's source material that I don't think adapts in the way they want to. Did they do a better job of adapting it in the new movie? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. No, I think the more I think on that new version, the more I think they've betrayed the source material. I, I think some of what they've done in the new film is very good. Some of the characterization it is quite impressive. Some of the situational stuff I, I've quite enjoyed. There is a jump scare in there that I legitimately jumped off my seat for. It was it's so surprising because I thought they'd done with every scare they were about to do and then they did one more. Um, <laughs> but But overall, I think they've changed too much. And it's really hard to judge because there is a second part to the film coming out. And it's been so successful. Right. It was put to me earlier. Could they turn it into a trilogy? And uh, uh, I'm so worried they're going to turn it into a trilogy because, you know, Hollywood. Um, right. Come 2019, I will tell you whether it's worked or not. <laughs> okay. We will return to it. We'll be back with more it. It. In 2019. <laughs> In 2019. Actually, that's something we should talk about. But we should we should have a conversation though about Mike's character and how he's the only black kid, and he's the one who gets cut out of the action at the end because he's the one who gets. At least they didn't kill him, but mm. almost got killed, and then he wasn't even there. Yeah. That I mean, I think that's worth talking about. It's possible to read some nuance into it that he's the one who's attacked first because he's the black guy. Not from a horror trope necessarily, but from the writing of the characters, from the the nascent racism within Derry is the thing that makes it and Henry go after Mike first. But because that's the last we see of him in the film, in the miniseries, it's really hard because, yeah, it does feel like he it's the stereotype of he's the 
token who gets killed first. Right. Mm. I mean, I suppose that it's possible that he's the one who had the most knowledge. He's the one who had been... How, how did they call it? They called him like the lighthouse keeper or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Like he's the one who's been there this whole time. He's the only one of the group who hasn't been super successful because he's got all of this knowledge and he's been watching. And so it could be argued that that's the reason that he was targeted first. But it's just really bad for it to have been the, the only black character who gets treated that way. Mm. And that bothered me. I mean, they didn't even treat Beverly that badly, and they treat women horribly in 1990 television. Yeah, she she is a very good part of this whole thing. Um, and, and again, Mike has more of a story uh, in the book because he is then attacked in the hospital, and the gang sense that he's under attack, so they come together and send their power to him to rescue him. Um, and because he's, like you say, the lighthouse keeper, in the book, between every sort of section... So there's like you know ten chapters to a section maybe. There are a few short chapters of his writing because he's been keeping a diary whilst all whilst he's been researching it over the years and whilst he's figuring out whether to call them and then, and so it ends up he's almost the outro writing about he's now forgetting some of the pages are going blank the scars have gone from their hands all of this kind of thing. So he's a much larger character and and like I said there's a bit more nuance there for what he goes through but that is entirely missing from the miniseries. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. If I can talk about one thing that is taken out, to, to kind of segue us into good things uh, in the adaptation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know what you're going to talk about. And, um, yeah. There is a scene in the book which is taken out of the miniseries. And it's really good that it's taken out. I had forgotten this scene was there until I reread the book. And I was like, wait, What? And I, I read an article that talked about this scene as um, the evidence that this is the book at which editors stopped telling Stephen King he couldn't do something. That this was the point where they decided more content was better than more quality content. Um, and that's because yeah. after defeating it for the first time as children, they all the boys sleep with Beverly to become more unified again because they're lost in the sewer tunnels. And that helps them find their way out of the sewer. Yeah. I'm really glad that wasn't in the movie. <laughs> like, if we're saying you couldn't show, you know, kids being killed or blood in general in on 1990s TV or TV in 1990, I'm not sure you could show an 11-year-old gangbang. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I I hate that that scene even exists. Mm. There's a couple of other moments of sex in the book which I don't think we got in the miniseries. Uh, Bill and Beverly sleep together as adults. There's a few bits with some of their adult companions and so on. Um, which generally work, because it is supposed to be a, a grown-up novel dealing with some of these issues. But there are also times in the book, and particularly this scene, where it, it's just not necessary, and it doesn't add anything. And like I said, he doesn't always do story beats that make sense or work. This is the sort of thing I can point to. Yes. Yeah. You you knew about that scene then? I did, actually. Um, yeah, somebody told me about it because someone had asked them if that scene had been in the new movie. Okay. It, it's almost replaced with the scene of them all using the asthma aspirator and them all saying, oh, it's, it tastes like battery acid. Yeah, that was a good scene. Yes, that shows the sort of group cohesion and coming together. It's really good. It's much better than them all sleeping together. Because it's <laughs> essentially it's, as eleven-year-olds. Yeah, it's pages and pages of description of what she goes through because it's from Beverly's point of view. Oh God! And it's just like it's implied that the boys climax but don't ejaculate. But then Ben comes to her as the penultimate boy, and he's much bigger than the other boys. And then she climaxes, and then it's Bill who goes last, and Bill is a surrogate for Stephen King himself, and she <laughs> she climaxes again with Bill. Of course. It's just, oh, I am never going to read this book ever. It's nope. It's worth reading, but it's also fourteen hundred pages, and one of the last chapters is an eleven-year-old gangbang. <laughs> so. I think that means it's not worth reading, <laughs> honestly. 
So if I'm pointing at good things from this, I'm saying it's good they did something different with that scene. Yes, I support that wholeheartedly. Mm. And do they do... Oh, just remind me. Do they do the, the the slicing open the hands to do the blood pact to come back at the end? They don't cut themselves, no. do they? No. They do not. It was just uh, verbal. Yeah. Which, which is good, again, because you can't really show it on TV, so they change it that way. But also there's a really nice moment in there where Stan looks like he's going to cut his wrists rather than cutting his hand when he comes to do it. Oh, that's and interesting. And it's, it's, it's almost the bookend for the book itself, the brackets. Right. Because the second, the first chapter is Georgie meeting Pennywise. The second chapter is Stan getting the phone call and killing himself. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, yeah, it's really early on, but it really does set up this idea of, oh, we're about to go through some stuff. And then right. they, they all, the chapters are almost mirrored as it goes through. So you get the, it intercuts from them fighting Pennywise as children with them fighting it as adults. And, and yeah, having this whole ritual with going into the Macroverse and defeating him and so on. I almost wish we had gotten some of that in the miniseries rather than just you know, being in a cave in the sewer, like a cave that had an actual door to get to mm. it. And then it was just a cave with a giant spider in it. Yeah. Who had a stomach that lit up. And when <laughs> all you could see was the stomach looked like a giant stingray. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, it's it supposed to be the, the depths of the universe that you look into. Yeah. <laughs> so the execution is not good. No off the story can can you appreciate some of the story this thing of every 27 30 years this thing comes back and terrorizes the town and kills people yes i think it had a ton of potential and honestly if i read the book i'd probably really enjoy it except for you know some of the more (laughs) problematic aspects it was just not executed very well i think and there there are things that i did like i liked the flipping back and forth between the two time periods Mm. and i liked the way they tried to be all artistic by having them do the same poses as adults and, and children to yeah. cut between the, the two time periods. I enjoyed the relationship that all the kids had together as children banding together against a bully. Yeah. And then as adults coming back together, having not seen each other for 30 years, and they still fell back into that same friendship. Mm. That was all really nice. Yeah, that's done really well. And, and that is... I think better than the, even the new movie. You you get a real sense of this is how children make friends. They just bump into each other, do a thing together, and hey, we're friends now. Yeah. And whilst whilst they go through something a bit more traumatic, and you know the chasing of Ben that introduces him to Bill and so on, it, it's really nice the way they meet up and just become friends. And there's there's no uh, overt tones because they're not quite going through puberty yet, so it's all they are all on an equal level. Yeah, and and you you do get that from the movie. I think it was really nice how you know Beverly treated them all equally, even though it was clear Ben had a crush on her and mm-hmm. she kind of had a crush on Bill. But you know she she kissed Stan on the cheek and she was like, oh, I fell in love with all of you. You know, yeah. it, it, it was sweet. It was a very innocent, naive like just nice thing and Mm. like they were just friends and i liked it i said earlier that one of the things is this came before the x-files and buffy one of the earlier episodes of the x-files is basically this plot about a creature who comes back every 20 something years and has to eat i think five livers from people who are still alive and then goes into hibernation and it's genuinely terrifying because the monster is very scary. And it's just one monster, but he is, the, the actor portraying him is very scary. The stuff they do with him in terms of the effects are very scary. So we're only a few years after this and, and it's done even better because the X-Files has that thing of everything's a bit covered in darkness and we're not quite sure what's going on or where things are. So the story itself does work when done well. Yeah, I can agree with that. <laughs> well, Matthew, did you have any favorite moments, lines, scenes... Anything from this movie that you can talk about? I I do give a lot of credit to Tim Curry in this. We've seen Tim Curry in a few things here, and and I've seen him in a lot of different films. I forget this is Tim Curry. There are very few moments in this where I go, oh, yes, I can see it. Because for the most part, he's playing something very different. And it it takes a good actor to be able to do that. Yeah, I was looking for Tim Curry Mm. every time they showed a close-up of Pennywise's face, and it just really wasn't there. I mean, he was completely embodying this creepy clown. 
Yeah. And and it is a creepy clown. Just we've had creepier clowns and other things. The creepy clown at the end of Cabin in the Woods is... is oh. <laughs> That's scary. Uh, the, the creepy clown in American Horror Story is, mm. is what I always go back to when, when I think of creepy clowns now. Is, is it a season one episode of Buffy where Xander has his clown fear? I want to say yes, nightmares. nightmare. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And again, only a few years after this. And modeled very much after Pennywise, I think. The laugh mm. of that clown... Very, very similar. Mm. I do I do like the bit with Pennywise in the book, in the picture book, and coming out to the front of the picture and, and seeming to come at them from, from a, a photograph. That's still quite a scary image. It is. It is. That one almost made me jump. <gasps> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like you say, the children, the way they meet, and the, the, the friendship is very genuine. Um, it's really hard watching this now, having seen Stranger Things. Oh, Because yes. Stranger Things is so pastiche, an homage, perhaps, to some of this Stephen King stuff, to this and uh, Stand By Me. So, like, you, you look at it and you go, oh, yeah, Stranger Things did this really well, didn't it? Oh, it did this horror really well. <laughs> Again, we've had a better updated version of it more recently. Right. Oh, I'll tell you one thing that I did like in, in story terms. I really like the the whole thing with the battery acid and the silver that he goes up to it and he says, this is battery acid and spray, sprays it at him and it does actually damage him. That does give over some of that idea of the power of the belief of the children. Um, again, it comes across much better in the book. There's a whole thing about 10,000 adults will imagine a vampire and make it true, but a child will imagine a stake. And whilst the stake is only wood, the mind is the mallet that drives it into the heart. Something on those lines. It's a lot more poetic than you can get across in in the TV. Right. But the asthma, the the aspirator. And do we know that's just a, um, basically just water? Uh, not at that point, no. Okay. But we, we do learn, in the miniseries we do learn that, I think. Yes. Yeah, okay. So So we do learn that it shouldn't be affected. There are really no chemicals to it. But the fact that it works shows the strength of the belief and the fact that he, although he's been so scared all the way through, he stands up to him and does deliver something of, of you know, genuine, genuine power. Right. It's one of the few things I took away from this remembering. Anytime I think back, I think on that spraying the, the uh, aspirator. It's really good. Did you have any things you want to point out as a favorite? I hesitate to say this as a favorite, but it is the most <laughs> memorable thing from the movie for me. Okay. In the... The grown-up timeline, mm-hmm. when uh, they're at the hotel or bed and breakfast or whatever it is, and Ben thinks that Beverly has come in and that he's kissing her, and then he figures out that it's Pennywise. And we get this really close-up shot of, of Tim Curry's face with his makeup all smudged and everything, and he goes, Kiss me, fat boy! <laughs> And I don't know why that is the one line that I remember above all other lines in this movie, Mm. but it made me laugh so much. So I don't know that I can say it's a favorite, but it's definitely memorable. How about that? And that's, uh, that almost speaks to the the fact that it's, the clown is funny and Tim Curry's performance is funny because you have the same moment in The Shining, Jack Nicholson kissing the woman. It turns out she is decayed and that's horrific. It's really scary. And it's kind of the same moment. Yeah, I guess it is. Okay. <laughs> it's just one's a clown and so it's not. <laughs> it, it's, I think that the visual of it was just really funny because they show the shot of Ben looking in the mirror and he can see that while it looks like the back of Beverly's head, you can see from the waist down, it's yeah. this like, <laughs> like big clown suit thing and that's how he figures it out. And so just like the visual of that whole scene was funny. Mm. And not scary. I think it was supposed to be slightly suspenseful, but it didn't come across that way. And then, I mean, come on, kiss me, fat boy. Really? <laughs> There's no way that's not going to be funny. There's a famous Simpsons episode of Bart being afraid of a clown as a very small boy. I wonder if that's before or after this. I bet it's after. I bet there's a timeline of making clowns more terrifying in uh, in popular media. <laughs> I'm not going to write it. I got better things to do than research scary clowns. <laughs> oh, maybe we need a bigger flowchart for that. Maybe we do. 
Okay, Matthew, is there anything else that we need to talk about? It. We... I've talked about the book and the new film quite a lot, and it's it's been a little bit difficult, as you can tell, separating out all three versions in my head because I've consumed them all in, in quite close proximity. Are you more or less or the same interested in seeing the film and reading the book? I am more interested in seeing the film and less interested in reading the book. Okay, that's fair. But I'm still not going to go see the film in a public place because jump scares and me do not get along and I don't want to humiliate myself in front of strangers. Yeah, generally it didn't go for jump scares. It went for monsters and a bit of suspense. But there are definitely jump scares in there. And yeah. and there was, there was also a monster scare in there that I found quite scary. That, woof. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but those, those are the... Uh, jump scares, not so much. But monster scares and suspense are the things that do for me. Yeah. Hmm. I, I shall wait until it's available to rent. Hmm. And then I will watch it in the safety of my own home with all of the lights on. And it will be fine. <laughs> it, it's funny them releasing it in September. Up until the point I went to see it. And I... I think i my theory is that they're releasing it in september because they know it's going to be a success whenever they release it so they front loaded it with trailers for all the october horror films i think they're using this to trojan horse other films they're releasing that makes sense And there was one horror film on the trailers i went oh i'd quite want to see that actually which (laughs) basically seemed to be the groundhog day but as a horror huh have you seen groundhog day no it's on the list do you know the premise Yes. Okay. It, it's that premise, but at the end of the day, the girl is brutally murdered. <laughs> and she has to work out who it is who's doing it and try to stop it. Oh, yeah. That's the same plot of uh, a YA novel adaptation that just came out recently. Mm. Uh, I, Before I Fall, I think. She dies. It, it, she's not brutally murdered, but she dies in a car accident. And then she keeps reliving that day until she manages to change it or something. Okay. So I think I have seen the preview for this horror film, and I was like, huh, that's like the same as what they've been doing everywhere. <laughs> and I was a little confused. <laughs> Happy Death Day, it's called. Oh, Lord, that's a terrible title. No wonder I can't remember it. <laughs> Happy Death Day? Happy Seriously? Death Day. <laughs> wow, okay. But it's really interesting. Having Googled Happy Death Day... It also brings up the IMDb entry for Before I Fall. <laughs> so, yeah, they are very similar ideas. One is just a proper, oh, it's called Happy Death Day. I'm not sure I'm going to go and see that. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> like, it, the trailer made it look really good. But also it's called Happy Death Day. <laughs> so you're interested in seeing It, the film? Yes. Before It, the film, Chapter 2 comes out. Yes. And maybe It, the film... Chapter three. Oh, I hope they don't do that, but also Hollywood. I do find it interesting that the the new movie decided to keep the two timelines completely separate and tell the children's story first and then tell the presumably tell the adult story in chapter two. Because I did quite like how they flipped back and forth yeah. between the two. Yeah, you were saying that you like the way they kept some of the poses, but it's a bit cheesy. That is how the book is written. Like sentences will start in one timeline and finish in the other timeline. But as different sentences, but about the same thing. Right, right. Okay. So it would be like, Bill opened the door and Ben was on the other side in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay. So that's it's clever. That's a clever way to it's portray great. that, I think, on the screen. Yeah. So, yeah. And the fact good. that in the adult timeline, it makes references to stuff that happened in the child timeline that you haven't read yet. Or, or in the miniseries that you haven't seen yet. I, I really liked that. It's like, oh, this is going to be quite exciting. Wait, why did they not kill it? Why did they let it live when they had right. the chance to kill it? Well, it turns out they thought it was dead. Right, right. All right. Well, we have had some listener feedback on previous episodes that we want to share with everybody. Laura Stewart-Berry recently watched Clue, and she kept wondering when the criminologist was going to come on because she's getting her eloquent gushing films mixed up. <laughs> I mean, Tim Curry movies, you've seen one, you've seen them all, right? Back for the three, Pete. <laughs> 2017 <laughs> yes. is the year of Tim Curry. <laughs> it absolutely is. I, I think I need to go look up his filmography and see how many more we can fit in this year. Oh, we might already have one more on the list. Do we? Mm-hmm. Which one? Oh, I'm not telling you. 
I want it to be a surprise when he shows up on screen. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, is there anything else we can fit him into? No, it's just that one. <laughs> okay, interesting. <laughs> Tim Curry is in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> Captain Kirk, I've got your cheese pizza. <laughs> Laugh with me. <laughs> I was so getting ready to say something about how you were amusing yourself, <laughs> and you said laugh with me. <laughs> we also heard from our friend Jazzy at Jawsbot7. She was watching Nightmare Before Christmas for the first time and wondering if I'm inadvertently prepping for an episode of PC Deprived. Well. We have not decided all of the Christmas movies that we are going to do this year, and so we are going to put a poll up on Twitter to decide the last one. Your options will be Nightmare Before Christmas, The Muppet Christmas Carol, Gremlins, or Christmas with the Cranks. We will have this poll up later today on Twitter, so please go vote and tell us which one of these Christmas movies you would like us to do in December. For full disclosure, we are doing three Christmas movie episodes in the month of December. The other two will be Scrooge and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So don't ask why those are not on the list because we're already doing them. (laughs) This is you being like, please don't tell us what you want us to watch. Tell us about the ones we're asking about watching. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. It's just that that was what I was almost about to say. And then you broke into it as well. (laughs) Guys, we know you like the Christmas story. Stop saying it. (laughs) Yeah, we're not doing the Christmas story this year. Maybe next year. Not this year. Sorry. Probably not next year either. (laughs) It will be a cold day in hell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you would like to have your thoughts featured on the show, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. And you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. We are completely funded by our listeners through our Patreon page. Any amount you can give gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And visit the website eloquentgushing.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter that has all the latest news and announcements about what's going on with us. We'll be back next week with a very special Halloween edition of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about Nightmare on Elm Street with Sherry Slade. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm everything you were ever afraid of. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.